Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What may be more profitable at the moment may not be so when you actually go to sell the underlying digital currency, right? And so if there's a timing delay and the volatility price, and then you need liquidity as well too. You need to find uh, a market to buy all of the Bitcoin cash, let's say if we switch. And so we just found that we've had a lot more stability and predictability when we stick with Bitcoin. Hello everyone. Welcome to the third episode of Coindesk's Bitcoin Having 2020 podcast series. On this episode, I'm joined by Sierra Sun, Head of Global Business and Markets at cryptocurrency exchange Huobi. Since 2018, the exchange has also been operating a mining pool responsible for managing roughly 6% of the Bitcoin network's hash power. Also joining us is John Rim, the Chief Financial Officer at BitFarms. BitFarms is one of North America's largest cryptocurrency mining companies. It operates five different facilities in Quebec, Canada. It's a pleasure to have you two on the show. John and Sierra, as we were talking just earlier, you guys are both dialing in from different parts of the world. Sierra, it's quite late for you, 3 a.m. as I understand. How are you holding up? Oh, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. John, it's probably, I guess, around 3 p.m. in Toronto. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Christine. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I really appreciate you guys making the time for this. The timing of this podcast is quite perfect because we're now just about a month away from the next Bitcoin halving. And these past few weeks, in an understatement, have been quite tumultuous times for the crypto markets. Sierra, what, if any, impact do you suspect the halving event will have on crypto market performance? First, I'd like to say that what I'm about to say is my personal opinion. It doesn't mean to be any investment advice. So having is a indispensable part of the Bitcoin ecosystem because it helps curve inflation by reducing money rewards, which creates scarcity. Well, many crypto investors are expecting a substantial Bitcoin price increase, pointing to the halving as a catalyst for a price increase in the face of the difficult Bitcoin market. If past performance following the November 2012 and July 2016 halvings are any indicators, Bitcoin's price should increase significantly over a 10 to 12 months period following the halving. However, the third halving is a bit more complicated for two reasons. First um, is the current 
microeconomic um, landscape and also mm. the mining environment. It's a good thing that you mentioned just the price increase that is expected in the months following the having event. John, is that also something that you foresee being an impact coming out of the having event of a Bitcoin price run up? And to that, if that is something that you also expect, could you give some color on how much exactly do you think Bitcoin price will shoot up? That's an interesting question, Christine. I'm going to qualify all my statements as well, too, as just my personal views. I have to do that being an officer of a public company as well. From a miner's perspective, we actually look at things maybe just a little bit differently. Bitcoin price is a huge part, obviously, of our analysis. But we look at things on a revenue per terahash basis. Revenue per terahash uh, actually relates to how much uh, daily revenue there is for mining on a per terahash of computing power. A terahash is a trillion calculations per second. And right now, based on the last difficulty epoch, you have 99.59 exahash of computing power. That would represent, I always get these numbers mixed up, but you go trillion, then you go petahash, it's a quadrillion, then you go quintillion. So it, I think it's 99,590 terahash. Why we use revenue per terahash is because, as you know, the Bitcoin network is regulated by the difficulty adjustment. And so revenue per terahash incorporates both the metrics of Bitcoin price and the prevailing difficulty at the time. Right now, the revenue per terahash is around 12 cents or 13 cents, actually, with a recent price increase over the last little few hours. It's very easy for us as miners because we can look at the terahash that we currently have and we can actually calculate our daily revenue, which approximates the percentage of our computing power relative to the world's computing power. And so when you're asking me about the rise in price, I think everyone would tell you that there's probably going to be a mix between a change in price and a change in difficulty. So I'm hesitant to say that the price will go up, although that's one possibility. But what we feel very confident as a miner is that the whole network relies on mining for the validation of transactions. And for a self-incentivized system like Bitcoin, you need miners to be profitable. Now, it depends on your electricity price, depends on what kind of miners you have, and it depends on your scale, how, how much electricity, how many miners you have. And so at BitFarms, we just feel like we're well positioned because we're of a sufficient size and scale now and we have good equipment. But our mining economics will depend on both the price and the difficulty and be profitable post-having. Right, right. That's a really good point, John, because actions, when we're talking about finances and looking at operations long-term, you had said right now it's 12 to 13 cents per terahash, are you projecting any changes to that profitability? Do you expect it to increase or decrease in the short term versus long term after the halving? In the short term, in the immediate short term, right at the halving, if it were to happen tomorrow, you'd literally see revenue per terahash go from 13 cents to six and a half cents. What we would then see is either a change to the price or the difficulty or both. Most likely, we think that it'll be a change to difficulty. 
at six and a half cents revenue per terahash, the cost of electricity for running uh, the mining equipment will be too expensive for some miners that pay a higher price per kilowatt hour for electricity. What that will mean is it will be unprofitable for them to continue to keep the machines plugged in. What we then expect is that those miners will be unplugged and therefore the difficulty will adjust downwards depending on where we are in the difficulty cycle. As everyone knows, difficulty is adjusted every 2016 blocks and it's adjusted so that each block is solved on average in 10 minutes. So if miners start unplugging, then it's going to be harder to solve the algorithm, solve the nonce. And you should see within the next difficulty adjustment a decrease in the difficulty, which would then increase the revenue per terahash again. So we think that huh. post having, yeah, we think that post having, if it's going to go to six and a half cents immediately, it will eventually normalize back up to pre-having levels. But it's also an interesting question, uh, Christine, because if you look at the history of the revenue per terahash, as mining equipment becomes more efficient, so in other words, it uses less electricity per terahash of computing power, the actual revenue per terahash on a global basis becomes less. Just to give you an example, the new generation of um, mining equipment from What's Miner, the M30S, produces 88 terahash per second of computing power and does so using about 38 watts per terahash. At that kind of minor efficiency, what happens is that the cost per terahash of electricity, depending on your electricity price, could range from two and a half cents to let's say five cents. So therefore, if revenue per terahash is six and a half cents, they're just gonna continue to be plugged in. Conversely, if you're using S9s, your cost per terahash, depending on your electricity price, will exceed that. Nobody knows for sure, but definitely those with less efficient machines and those with less uh, or higher cost of electricity will unplug, decreasing the difficulty. Sierra, is minor pool payout a very similar dynamic as what John was describing now? So, first of all, Hashing power has been rising since uh, December 2018 as miners look to take advantage of a higher reward before the 50% reduction. Well, part of the reason for the increasing hash rate, as mentioned earlier, is the new mining machinery that replaced the S9 miners. And then according to Hobie's mining pool, the upgraded mining equipment has lower power requirements and higher computing power, and this means a better profit margin for the miners. And also, the halving event also takes in place in the Chinese white season, which means that the cost of the mining will be lower. It was very unexpected that the Bitcoin mining difficulty would drop 16% a few months just before the halving, and that's the biggest drop since 2011. It might be a direct result of the falling price, but it is not all about the miner calculation. For example, broad blockchain, they have said that their operations is distributed by the COVID-19 as the staff has to stay away from work. Also, that's what happened in China as well. Some of our, our clients and our um, partners in Chengdu, China area, they have to close down operations as well last month. Sierra, do you suspect that with not as many miners with perhaps access to the latest equipment who aren't able to get their profitability measures 
on par with what's currently available in the market. Do you suspect that mining pool payout will behave and react in a similar way to what had happened in the previous two having events? It's really hard to predict, but like I said, this year it's really different than、um, the last two rounds that we had, given that the macroeconomic landscape is so different. First is the COVID outbreak, and then because the Bitcoin is decentralized digital currency and not controlled by the government, it should be resilient against the impact of quantitative easing and、uh, resulting inflation. However, the recent Volatility in Bitcoin price reveals more limitations, and、uh, as Hobby Pool, we will be providing more stable service for miners. But as for profit margin and stuff, it's really hard to predict this year. Right, with all these other global events going on, I think this conversation around how much of an impact new hardware models come into play and. Access to these more efficient mining machines actually have on price and actually have on just the mining industry itself in the months to come are really important. And so, I do want to ask John, being based in North America as a mining farm, had you found it a lot more difficult this year to be able to upgrade your equipment because of things like the COVID outbreak that had delayed production releases of the latest hardware? I'm curious to know. For Bit Farms, how have you guys been handling trying to maintain your profitability and lead up to the having by replacing and upgrading? We're only two years old, and we were previously listed in Israel. We privatized in Israel, and we listed in Toronto last year around the middle of the year. We've only been public in in Canada for nine months or so. In terms of raising capital, I would say generally that North America. Is slower in adoption than you know parts of Asia and that part of the world, and so there's probably been historically more capital over there, as well as all four major mining equipment manufacturers are all from China. I think, as everyone knows, a majority of Bitcoin hash rate is still in China as well. For you know, and Sierra mentioned the low electricity prices, but. What we've been pleased to see is that there is incredible growing interest and in,、uh, growing adoption and financial legitimization in North America, mostly in the U.S. One of the reasons is that they're finally figuring it out and mobilizing very quickly now. There is a lot of low-cost electricity in the U.S. as well, too, and a lot of excess low-cost electricity in in the U.S. and Canada. What's happening is is that people are finally catching on to Bitcoin mining and how profitable it can be in the paybacks. There's obviously risk because we don't know where revenue per terahash is going to go and all that kind of stuff. But the excess oil and gas industry that is incredibly cheap electricity between one and two cents per kilowatt hour, and so you're starting to see financial groups get organized in and, and invest in this space. Certainly, from our perspective. We've had a lot of interest as well as、uh, partnerships, and like any other public company, we're looking for capital. But last year, we raised twenty million dollars. To our knowledge, we were the only one in the public markets that was able to raise significant capital externally, and we used that to grow three hundred percent. So, I mean, we just finished growing in fourth quarter. Now we have lots of extra electricity to continue to grow, and we're working on more financing, but. The financing now is coming from sources in the U.S. We have groups like the Digital Currency Group, 
BCG that is offering uh, vendor financing for mining equipment. So we're definitely um, speaking to all sources of capital to, to continue to grow. But you also have to remember that even if that capital is there to buy miners, you have to have the infrastructure to plug it in. And to build the infrastructure, it does take a little bit of lead time. We feel right now we're ready uh, with the infrastructure that we have, capacity that we have, to go and get uh, more mines, and we're working on it. So um, we're excited about the space, and there's certainly more opportunities to get that financing. And is access to that infrastructure, access to, say, like the latest model of what's minor or Bitmains at minor, are those would you say easily available to bit farms being based in North America and not based in China? All the Chinese manufacturers want to expand their business. I think traditionally in the past, most of their business has been in, in China. But as you mentioned, you need access to electricity to plug it in. And most importantly, you need access to capital. And so it's a race. It's a race to get that capital. Every profitable miner is generating free cash flows to continue to grow. But to grow at a very rapid pace, you need significant sums of capital to make uh, massive differences in your hash rate and get thousands of miners at a time. Now, the other limitation is the supply of miners. So the new generation miners that I just mentioned earlier, those just recently came out. Bitmain announced a new generation S19 Pro that's incredibly efficient. And, and they just announced that for wider uh, production and distribution by June. And the way the mining manufacturers work is that they have to order the chipsets from the semiconductor foundries. So they need to take the orders 60 days in advance, which means you have to put a big down payment down. So it really depends on whether miners have the capital to make that down payment so you can get the miners 60 days from now. Also, um, unfortunately, with the situation with COVID-19, it originated in China. And so there were quarantining and self-isolation, just like there is in the rest of the world. And when I talk to my colleagues in China, they're just getting back to, you know, normal life and back to the factories. Coinciding with that, you also had Chinese New Year. So manufacturing tends to slow down right around the end of January for a couple of weeks in February. So the supply is not even going to be available until May or June anyway. So that's why I, I don't think many miners have added much hash rate from the new generation stuff, you know, in the last little while. Sierra, would you say that you agree with that? Yeah, that's definitely happening. We definitely see delays. There were so many things that happened in the past three months. Like John said, uh, first it's a new year in China so that we have about a week of uh, vacation time. And then right during the new year time, it was a COVID-19 outbreak and uh, it lasts until now. Some of the parts in China just resumed people back to work. So there's been this delay and everything's been very slow. There's this perception that miners the computational energy that they put into the Bitcoin network is really what gives that Bitcoin network security and therefore value. I'm curious to know if we're not going to be seeing a major rush or increase in hash power in the same ways that we did during the past two halvings, are we concerned that the value or the security of the network will be negatively impacted as a result? 
is there a concern at all in your guys' view that due to world events, due to this lack of newer equipment and modeling going around, that this will subsequently lead to a drop in hash power even more than the 16% that we had seen uh, a couple weeks back? And how might that affect sentiment in, in the crypto market and price? Sierra? It was very unexpected to see that the mining difficulty would drop 16%. Well, historically, it's taking months for a Bitcoin price rally because it's expensive to mine. In the State of the Network report, Coinmetrics predicts that the Bitcoin mining efforts would be boosted thanks to earlier reward having events from the Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, which is happening this week. When the Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV have their block rewards, they should force miners to direct even more hash power to Bitcoin as it will still have a uh, 12.5 native unit uh, block reward instead of the 6.25 for about a month longer. This will increase the difficulty before the halving after it dropped. Therefore, we should expect difficulty increases for Bitcoin and that should further squeeze um, profit margins for all miners. As for Bobby Pool, as I said earlier, we really want to provide a more stable service for the miners and users during this time of the period. So we will launch some financial products um, according to the market situation in order to just help the miners cope with the market fluctuation caused by the halving. Do you mind elaborating just quickly on what those financial products are? We provide double mining, multiple mining, and for example, BTC supports mining, which means that uh, miners can receive airdrops of HPT, that's the Hobby pool token, ELV, and uh, Vcash while mining BTC. And at present, the projects supported by computational uh, power mining include a lot of the coins, uh, say BTC, BCH, ETH, ETC, LTC, CKB in the innovation zone. And also we offer cloud computing power products. These are more 2C products. And one of the major advantage that uh, Hobby Pool layout is that it is easier for the users as the C end to mine. And the initial cloud computing power products uh, were sold out very soon after its launch in 2017. And the growing number of the participants will instill more this dynamics to the industry and contribute to its development, I think. Gotcha. John, do you have any miners that are preparing to switch potentially from Bitcoin Cash to Bitcoin Network when the halving occurs this week? Christine, as you know, like the Bitcoin Cash uses the same algorithm and all of the mining equipment, therefore, can be used to hash either Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash. And certainly all of our, our mining equipment very quickly can be switched. We even have um, computer software, as everyone does, that measures the profitability and can switch on a dime. We have done that in the past, but when you take into consideration different things, like the volatility of the pricing, what may be more profitable at the moment may not be so when you actually go to sell the underlying digital currency, right? And so if there's a timing delay and the volatility price, and then you need liquidity as well too. You need to find uh, a market to buy all of the Bitcoin cash, let's say if we switched. 
And so we just found that we've had a lot more stability and predictability when we stick with Bitcoin. And so we do that. We've had lots of people or companies approach us and say, well, we can get you set up and you can mine Bitcoin cash like immediately. And, you know, you should do so because you're going to earn more profits at that time. Or that may be true in that moment. But then when you do have the Bitcoin cash and you go to sell it, the price might have dropped or you can't sell it all at once or whatnot. So we've made a decision to just kind of focus on Bitcoin. Hmm. In terms of exchange infrastructure, market infrastructure to sell coins on the market, will there be a higher selling pressure immediately after the halving? Is that something that you expect to happen, John? Or is the perspective more that because price is more lagging, as in it takes a little bit of time for the markets to normalize after the halving, that miners will be holding on to more Bitcoins that they mine straight after the halving than is usual? It really depends, Christine, because as a miner, I just mentioned to you how important it is to grow quickly, to scale, Mm -hmm. to have a viable as well as outcompete your peers going forward. It's an economic decision and nobody knows the future. So what we have found certainly through 2018 and our business model right now, as soon as we mine, we sell and reinvest in the business. Why do we do that? Well, we can speculate by holding the Bitcoin and hope that the price goes up at a faster rate. But for us, it has been certainly proven out to be true, where if we sell and reinvest in getting more energy infrastructure and more mining equipment, and you continue to do that until you get to a certain size and scale, that has been the better approach. It was certainly the better approach in 2018 when you saw price drop 85%. If we had held on to the Bitcoin that we had uh, mined at the beginning of the year, that would have been disastrous. And, and then we would have been forced to sell to cover our costs when the price was a lot lower. So by being consistent, the returns that we've been able to get when you sell and reinvest in your business have been higher and more predictable. And so that's been our strategy. But it, it really depends on each miner and how much capital they're beginning with, how much working capital they have to sustain their operations and, and wait till Bitcoin price goes up. But like I said, for us, it's been better from an investment perspective and a growth perspective to reinvest in our business. Gotcha. We've discussed now in this podcast when we're talking about the impact of the having on crypto markets, we've talked about difficulty, we've talked about hash power. Of course, we've talked about price, different mining equipment, as well as global events that are happening. Sierra, are there any other factors that you had been contemplating in your mind that would potentially impact this dynamic between the having and, and the crypto markets that we hadn't discussed that you think is, is still relevant to the discussion? I think the interesting fact that John just mentioned is where miners were looking to cash in before the reward having. Historically, we've seen impact. Use Hobby Pool as an example. In 2019, our operational revenue was $320 million, which is a massive jump of uh, about 500% from just the $53 million in revenue in the previous year. And our operational profit also rose about 200% from uh, $2.5 million to about $6.6 million in 2019. Our two primary drivers of the revenue for the Hobby Pool in 2019 19 was uh, first it was uh, pure staking 
and then was the POW mining, contributing in total about uh, 60% of our total net income. And uh, POW mining became one of the fastest growing business segment in 2016 for Hopi Pool. And the BTC hash rates reaching a peak of about 6,500 and ranking within a top five mining pools by hash rate disruption. At that time where miners were looking to cash in right before the reward having. So I think giving, uh, like we said earlier, the landscape of the total economy where the great recession is happening and was the total nighting. And also we see the market has been reacting to the major drop in the March 12th, uh, a lot of uh, sell-off. And we see as exchange, we see liquidity was um, decreasing quite a bit. On the 12th and also two days before, we see that this, um, this fear um, that creates um, of the Bitcoin price drop would really impact the whole mining industry as well. Some of the miners, they do hold Bitcoin and they, they do lending. And with the leverage, it's, it's even harder for the miners. We see some of our, our clients and partners, they suffered quite a bit during their price drop with leverage. Right. Could exchange liquidity for Bitcoin, the number one cryptocurrency in the world, is it a possibility that it drops so low that even selling Bitcoin on the markets becomes a lot harder than it used to be? Is that a scenario that had come across your mind, John? No, that hasn't come across my mind. I mean, we're long-term believers in Bitcoin. We have over 11 years, over 620,000 blocks, to your point earlier about uh, the security of the network. For us, Bitcoin price is really based on adoption. And... You know, I think with all the COVID stimulus around the world right now, it bodes well for a deflationary currency. We're very bullish on Bitcoin longer term. If we felt like we could hold and we had the capital to continue to invest in our business, that's certainly something that we would, we would be evaluating. It's just at the time, we just felt like we could make more money by reinvesting in our business. And that turned out to be true. I don't think there's going to be liquidity issues for Bitcoin simply because it's continuing to gain in adoption. And certainly, yes, we have seen a big price drop. But don't forget, there's you know, over 18 and a half million issued. So as more are being issued, the total, the price has, has gone up, certainly since last December of 2018. If you look on it year over year, it's over, over double or almost double. And yet... Uh, the network has issued more Bitcoin at the time. So the overall market cap is expanding as well, too. So what's going to happen when, you know, you have the U.S. alone with $6 trillion in stimulus, printing more money, governments around the world all doing the same in response to COVID-19, that bodes well for a deflationary currency. It's just in the short term, we don't know. And again, for us, it's all about economics. So I don't necessarily feel, unless they're forced to sell, which is what I think, you know, Sierra just alluded to. And I think that's what happened. You know, the traditional markets, everything tanked. And so you're going to de-risk from riskier uh, assets, which Bitcoin is at the moment. 
you're going to liquidate there and buy stocks when they're low. Or if you've leveraged your Bitcoin to finance your business and you have a loan to value ratio of 66 to 80% or 100 to 120% and, and the price goes down because of selling, you're going to have call orders on your collateral. People are going to have to sell. People are going to, you know, so that's what drove the price down. But what has been encouraging throughout the whole thing is, is as the price went down, it became unprofitable for other miners. They had to unplug and difficulty adjusted, which means that the other miners who are operating with lower electricity costs and more efficient equipment, they can still stay in the game. Their business is resilient and defensible, even when there's price volatility. One of the beauties about Bitcoin's economic model that we'll definitely be diving deeper into in another episode. Thank you so much, Sierra and John, for all of your comments and really thoughtful, detailed answers to my questions. I have one final one for you guys. There's so many models when it comes to trying to predict and find some kind of pattern in how Bitcoin price moves when it comes to the halving and impacts of the halving. Some that come to mind are things like stock to flow model, um, efficient market hypothesis. Is there any one that sticks out in your guys' mind that have been really interesting for you or something that you yourself hold to be true? I can certainly speak to how we look at things in our business. Again, it's, it's revenue per terahash. If you're talking about a self-incentivized model, which is what the Bitcoin network is, you can say, what's going to attract people to invest in mining infrastructure, power contracts, you know, mining equipment? Well, it's the return on investment. That is why you've seen revenue per terahash drop, in my view, because as the machines get more efficient, the margin that you make from electricity is compelling enough to actually invest in the equipment and the infrastructure because, you know, you're earning strong returns on investment over time. So if you take the What's Miner M30S that I mentioned earlier, and it's 3.3 cents cost per terahash on electricity at uh, roughly 4 cents per kilowatt hour, you know, if you have 11 cents revenue per terahash, you're making 7.7 cents on 11. You're making significant gross margin. You're making over 70% gross margin. Those are margins that in any other business are compelling enough to attract investment. In terms of price difficulty mix, as long as you're making those margins, you're going to be buying the mining equipment. You're going to be investing in the data centers. You're going to be trying to get power contracts at four cents or less. You know, people are self-motivated to do that. Gotcha. Hmm. I think Sierra may have dropped off again. Uh, John, I am... Curious to know, just in the, in the few minutes we have before Sarah jumps back on, any more forward-looking models that you have that you were interested in or, or kind of stick out in, in your mind? To me, it's always about fundamentals. It's about adoption. So we definitely look at number of new wallets, number of smaller transactions, wallets with uh, one Bitcoin or more as measures of adoption. And then we also look at the macro factors as well, too. Like I mentioned, quantitative easing measures, acceptance. You know, a lot of people are spooked by regulations that are going to, you know, might come and what impact they'll have on the industry. In terms of specific modeling and algorithms to try to figure out price, it's really anyone's guess. 
And so I haven't seen anything that that's compelling enough for me to hang my hat on or like place any reliance on. And that's why, you know, not, it's not a satisfying answer, but for us, we look at trends in revenue per terahash and we look at the current generation of equipment and we look at how much capital we think there is. We look at where the cheap energy is and the access to it. We look at, you know, ancillary costs to that, that electricity. It's very hard to model out with any degree of accuracy exactly how much those are. I mean, we certainly have our own internal models that we build out, but we just focus on growing ourselves because we believe in Bitcoin price economics longer term. Sierra, I know you're back on with us. Any future looking models or economic thoughts on the impact of the halving on, on crypto markets? So a few that I had seen going around was something like stock to flow or efficient model hypothesis. And John had just been explaining now how none of the ones that are out right now are anything he'd really like stick his neck out on the line for. I agree with John that uh, it's very hard to predict. And especially with this year, you know, there are so many factors that we just couldn't predict what's happening with the whole uh, economy and uh, with the COVID-19 outbreak. Um, the cost of electricity is definitely in consideration and power consumption and computational power, what is going up or down, um, and also uh, numbers of people and uh, institutions, especially, and uh, the capital they're bringing into the uh, mining industry is in consideration as well. So no crystal ball on this episode, but still, it was really, really insightful to be able to hear your guys' thoughts on how you react and how you guys look at the changing dynamics of the crypto markets, especially in lead up to the Bitcoin halving. For everybody listening to this podcast episode, you can follow Sierra on Twitter. Her handle is at Sierra Huobi, no space. That's spelled C-I-A-R-A-H-U-O-B-I. And John, I confess, I could not find your Twitter profile, but I do know that you have a LinkedIn profile. What's the best way for interested listeners to connect with you? You can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, we also have a website for uh, inbound queries for our company, and I'm copied on those emails. So that's another way to, to get in touch with me if you have any questions. Great. You got Twitter, you got LinkedIn, and company websites as well. If you are interested in reaching out to me or the Coindesk research team more broadly, you can find more research-related crypto insights about this upcoming Bitcoin halving through a Coindesk research halving report that is now up on coindesk.com. It features additional commentary from mining industry experts and over 30 different halving-related charts. Be sure to check out the new report that's out on the Coindesk website. You can reach out to me or anybody at the Coindesk research team, whether that be about this podcast, about webinars, other reports through our Twitter channel. And that is at Coindesk data, no space. Thank you everyone, as always, for tuning in. There will be a new episode up next week. Talk to you guys then. Bye. Thanks, guys. 